Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child using the method of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Today we have Trinka Hamill on our podcast, and she is sharing her wisdom with working with children of a variety of different abilities in the atrium with the work of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. She gave me many different articles and resources to read through ahead of time, and they were chock full of really beautiful and amazing information on this specific subject. So I'm going to include those in our show notes for you. So if you would like to dive into this subject even deeper, feel free to look into those resources. We would like to hear what you think about the podcast, what we're doing well, what we can improve on, some topics that you would like to learn about or to hear about. So we have created a survey for our listeners to fill out. You can check out the link to the survey in our show notes. As an added incentive for filling out the survey, starting the day this episode airs, September 30th, through October of 2020, if you fill out the survey and include your email address, then you will be entered into a drawing to receive a book that we have in Catechese of the Good Shepherd store. The book for the October raffle will be Look at the Light, which is extra special for this month because we will be talking about this book on the podcast during the month of October. So please go check out the survey. We want to hear what you have to say, and maybe you will win the special book in our raffle. We are so glad each of you are here. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Trinka, to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. We are very excited to have you with us today. It's great to be here with you, Carrie. Trinka, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? Sure. I am a catechist of the Good Shepherd in Tacoma, Washington, and I came upon the work um, when I moved to Tacoma and a local parish was discerning uh, whether this was the right program for the community and there was a wholehearted yes. So we entered Mm. into uh, level one courses with Linda Kale um, and Joanne Terranova here in the Northwest. And that was in 2007, 2008. So I've been a catechist for about 12 years and went through all three levels and was blessed with the role of coordinating CGS at a local parish for many years. And now I'm a level one formation leader and still just really blessed by the work and honored to be a part of it. And if anybody read our newsletter that just came out this, well, didn't just come out, that came out last October, November, the one that's specifically on Gianna. You, Trinka, were one of the authors or a co-author of one of the articles there. So we should go find it and read it. Yeah, that was really fun to do. It was a collaborative effort with Kim and Joanne and Lynn, who are also formation leaders in this area. So we wrote an article about collaboration collaboratively. So it was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) And on a personal level, Trinka, what work do you do? I have been a speech and language therapist in public schools for a very long time and um, stepped away from that work when I was becoming more involved as the coordinator of CGS. 
Mm-hmm. And the parish that I was at is no longer doing CGS. So I'm currently just really listening to where God is calling me and mm-hmm. very happy to be part of a wonderful formation team. So we're in these pandemic times making sense mm-hmm. of how to support folks, even though we can't meet in person yet where we are. So, Mm -hmm. well, I'm really excited to pick your brain today, specifically on your work, both professionally and in the atrium on children with different abilities and how we can serve all children and their families. Um, And I think that it has a really particular place within our work being Montessori based, since that is how Maria Montessori started off her work. Would you tell us a little bit about how that started? Yes. Well, we know we know many things about Maria Montessori, and she was a physician in the late 18th and early, sorry, late 19th and early 20th century. And one of the first things that she did was spend time in what was at that time called an asylum for children. Mm-hmm. We would say they were children with different abilities. And her power of observation was really one of the gifts that was rooted in that work and continues to be rooted in our work with CGS. She advocated for children to have learning experiences who really weren't being offered that at all. So she was part of some of the very earliest work in Rome and that area about reframing who children are when they don't necessarily follow the typical developmental steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was her early work. And her method, the Montessori method, was really an outgrowth of her observations of children who she saw much potential in. And the transition to children without disabilities is the history. That's the, that's the rootedness of CGS is that it started in working with children who weren't being given opportunities and continues to be part of the roots of our work. Mm -hmm. I think it's really beautiful and propels us in a direction to serve the children of all abilities to know that that is where the roots come from, from Montessori. It tells us that it is, it is possible. We are capable of this. This work is capable of serving all children. And um, I think knowing the history gives us the courage to continue down that path. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many things about the atrium, about CGS and the Montessori method that welcome all children in. We can, I think as catechists, really have confidence that it's it's all there. We really can mm-hmm. be on that journey of discovering how to be more and more welcoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to necessarily have a special education degree in order to be able to serve children of all different abilities. No, I think our greatest gifts are, um, you know, the way that we are invited into observation Mm -hmm. and the way that we are invited into uh, a deep welcoming of who the child is. And there's so many aspects of CGS that support us as catechists in doing that, you know, from the prepared environment and the way that we have a spirit of experimentation in our work, mm-hmm. that we're asked to, you know, stand in a place of humility and understand the theology of gift and response that's built in, even in our earliest encounters with mm-hmm. three and four and five-year-olds. So, mm-hmm. 
And then also the idea of following the child, I think, makes it so perfect for children of all different abilities because it allows the children to show us how God is speaking to them at that moment and the needs that they have at that moment or that day or that time in their life rather than us have an agenda for what we think that they need to know or do at this time. Yes, and one of our great works as catechists in the atrium is to be in relationship with our own restlessness when we have an idea of how the atrium should be or how the session should go. And I know we've all had the experience of like, okay, that's not how I thought it was going to be during this presentation or Mm -hmm. in this session or during this prayer time, but really finding the place in our own hearts that is able to let go of that and just be present, be present to the children right in front of us. Yes. Yeah. Cause that's the case with all children. We don't know where they just came from. We don't know what obstacles maybe they had that day or in their life at that time. It doesn't matter um, where they are in what abilities, physical, emotional, mental abilities they have. All the yes. children that come to us are coming from a different place at all times. And um, for us to be that observer to, and meet them where they're at at that moment yes. for all children is what makes this work so beautiful. Yes. And I think that's the really wonderful starting place as I've had experiences with children who come with different abilities is that I can begin with a welcome and a yes. And I have to say that I think that's one of the most wonderful gifts that I hear from parents when they first encounter a CGS program is if we're able to say, Yes, there is a place for your child in the atrium. Mm -hmm. And we may need to work together to know exactly what that is or to how how to remove barriers that we might not see, but the child will show us. And I think in that, we are just living more deeply into what we want to offer all children, just that deep yes. Yes. And that's one of the things from the resource that you sent me from the Archdiocese of New York that really was profound to me is they said in that resource that the response that you give to the parent when they come up to you and they say, can my child be a part of faith formation? Can my child be a part of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? They have these special needs. And our initial reaction needs to be an immediate, yes, yes, we would love, of course, your child is a baptized Christian, just like all of us. We want them there. That that initial response is the beginning of the relationship and the beginning of that catechetical moment with the whole family because it shows them that they are wanted, that they are welcomed, that they are 100% part of the family, just like everybody else that is in the, the church community. And that really stuck out to me, that idea of this welcoming, this immediate response of yes, of course, yes, let's talk, let's figure out how it's going to work, but yes, of course. Yeah, I love that you used the word family there, Carrie, because I think, you know, sometimes as catechists are managing kind of the framework of schooling, and it's part of our work to kind of peel that away, because I think when we're welcoming children into the atrium, the image of the family is much more appropriate. Mm -hmm. So when as catechists, we might have some pause about, you know, how will I make sure that a child who is deaf or a child who has autism or a child who has Down syndrome, how will I 
make that work. Certainly, the experiences of special education can support us. I think the the framework of the family is just the place where I go. It's like, well, this is the family. This is the parish family. This is now the atrium family. And we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful opportunity for us to model the God of inclusion at that moment. Like if you look at Jesus and all the stories of life, he included everybody, whether they were sinners or saints or um, poor or rich or disabled or not. He, Jesus was a God of inclusion. And we as catechist or parents or friends or just other members of the church, we are modeling that God of inclusion to the family who probably naturally feels on the outside or naturally feels excluded just because of the dynamics of their family. Yeah, I think one of the profound experiences that we had in our CGS program was we we were being called by a number of parents to consider offering an atrium experience for older youth and young adults with disabilities who had not been able to continue their faith formation once they hit a certain age and it became more difficult to include them in the way that we usually think about it. Mm -hmm. And so we experimented with this, what we called a level four atrium and just invited families to come with their older youth and young adults. And, you know, it really was just in the spirit of opening the atrium doors and saying, your child, who may be an older youth, a young adult, can bring their whole selves into the space. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what it will look like. We don't know what it will sound like. We don't know how long it will last. (laughs) We don't know what materials will serve or not serve, but, but just being able to say, let's, let's do this. And I think one of the really deep experiences that families had was that it was a time to just let go of that sense of exclusion, that sense of, will my child disrupt someone else's prayer? Will my child not fit in and just to really relax into a space where there weren't any have tos there was Mm -hmm. just exploration together Mm. i love that y'all took a stance of experimenting with this and we're open to all the different variations of it so like how you said that how long it would last so you know it might not last an hour an hour and a half two hours like some atria time would be but just being open to all the different varieties and experimenting and your willingness to do that. That's exactly, I think, what Maria and Sophia and Gianna taught us is that experimental model that we're supposed to stand with all children of God. Yes, they're great inspirations for that. (laughs) You know, just knowing like how many materials were sitting in the closet that they thought would serve the child and just didn't. So through careful observation, and we found that for in this, you know, what we call level four atrium, the communal prayer time was just universally loved by all of us. Mm-hmm. And it looked different than it does in a level one, two or three atrium. And yeah, I just recall there was one young woman who did not use verbal language, but 
would just beam. So we had this practice of passing around a basket with different crosses in it. And each person would just choose one to hold during the prayer time. Mm-hmm. And we would sometimes just be sitting in silence and hear this joyful giggle. <laughs> and I don't know that any of us could put words to that. And it was just that gift of sometimes we don't have words. And here's a young person, a young adult reminding us of that, that sometimes response is just this bubbling up joy. And that can be true at any age. What a beautiful gift that they gave you, that this young woman gave you to show that gift of joy and essentiality that we talk about that, you know, her just holding the cross gave her such joy that she wanted to giggle. What a beautiful testimony that is. It is beautiful. And it reminds me, you know, there's a whole section of theology. It's relatively new on disability, the theology of disability. And some of the some of the images that come out of that are just beautiful. And one of them is of, you know, disability not as a tool to coming to know God more deeply, but as a pathway, this idea that what we call disability is really something any of us could experience at any parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we are born into a condition of being just hugely vulnerable as babies, just as Jesus was. But that we have this reminder that our brokenness or our vulnerabilities, or maybe the best way to say it is like our limitations is what leads us to Mm -hmm. the cross Mm -hmm. and to the resurrection. So I think that's definitely an experience that, that I feel I was gifted with in this experimental level for Atrium. Yeah, for sure. Our limitations are gifts in some ways because they are avenues in which to help us grow closer to God. Like Jesus on the cross, his brokenness, there was a purpose to it. There was a glorifying gift that comes from that. And even if when you look at Jesus post-resurrection, that he still has the wounds in his hands and feet, like he didn't erase the brokenness. There is value there. And I think that this helps us understand that there is a value in each of our own limitations, like what you were just saying, that they are not to be erased or they are not to be um, considered inferior but there is value there that's help to help us point to heaven and help us to get to heaven. Yeah, and I think, you know, in Luke, Jesus actually says to the disciples, come and look, look at my hands, look at my feet. Mm-hmm. Almost as a way of saying, this is, you will know me in these wounds. You will know me in the way that I was human. Almost, you know, almost as though Jesus is granting the power to for us to be able to make peace with the vulnerable nature of our own lives and you know we don't know everyone's experience every child's experience of disability you know it's, it's not to say that that it's a gift to become closer to god because there can be real suffering and real pain and real sorrow in living a life uh with disability or having a child with disabilities but I think it is, it, it's an avenue into helping all of us 
understand how to break open our sense that there are those who are human in the right way, and then there are those who are human in a way that is somehow not fully human. And I think that's that's the image that we're asked to just completely break through. Mm-hmm. And the other part of the the theology of disability is interdependence of God and the interdependence of all of us, including those with disabilities. Would you speak into that as well? Yeah, there's a wonderful line of theology of disability that is written about particularly by a man named Hans Reinders. And he speaks about being in relationship with adults who are profoundly limited by an inability to speak or maybe even move on their own. And he talks about how, though we can't know that experience, if someone is limited in their ability to to express it, what we do know is that they're experiencing limitations. And in that, they're experiencing that posture of receiving. Mm -hmm. So they have to be connected to others, you know, to help with just the tasks of daily living. You know, it reminds me of the presentation that we do in the atrium around baptism, where we're just naming these gifts, Mm -hmm. the gifts that we can smell and see and feel and hear. And it's almost as though all of the sacraments are inviting us into this posture of receiving and that that's what brings us closer to God and brings us into a place where we can then respond to that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just the notion that there's something deeply spiritual about the experience of needing to rely on one another. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, the image of the true vine comes up with that. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's, you know, we're intended to be connected. Mm -hmm. We're intended to need to receive the sap before there can be any fruit in how we respond. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the world around us that God created, he, he imprinted interdependence into everything. Like we are dependent on the world for life and each aspect of our environment is interdependent on each other. And, and even when you look at Jesus's life, his, he was interdependent in like, he like could have chosen to be born as a human or like come to the world as a human, but he, you know, God chose for him to come as a baby or, um, in his dependence on Mary and to be born and to be fed and to grow up. And it's just that idea of interdependence is imprinted. And I think that our culture kind of um, pushes or encourages dependence and God wants us to be interdependent. And I think all of us at different times in our life are forced for that interdependence, like you were talking about, Trinka. Um, But children with special needs or adults with special needs show us that there is beauty and value there as well in being dependent on other people. Yeah, it's like so many images that were offered in the parables remind us that being small is a gift and that growing is a gift and that 
all the ways that it takes collaboration to be in the world. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's what we're created for. Mm -hmm. So I, I think of, you know, in, especially in level one, when we are exploring with the child, their deep desire to be independent, you know, help me do it by myself. Mm -hmm. Even in that request, there is the notion of interdependence, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I can't create my own dignity in being able to spoon beans from one bowl to another, unless you show me how. Mm -hmm. And in that is that beautiful model of how, you know, we may be asked to be in the world. And it, it also reminds me of the whole idea of normalization, you know, the Montessori mm -hmm. framework for when we can kind of tell a child has become deeply comfortable in a learning community space. And I have to say, Carrie, when I was learning about Montessori and learning about um, CGS, that word really bothered me mm -hmm. because I kind of read it as this invitation to become one certain kind of learner that we could call normal. And of course, you know, I've come to learn that that's a term that comes out of anthropology and it really means something more like becoming a contributing member of society. And even beyond that, I recently heard Rebecca Roysevitz kind of frame normalization as being in harmony with self and environment. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just really speaks of all that we've been talking about, like that interdependence and that great welcome and the dance between help me do it by myself, but that requires help mm -hmm. <laughs> and that requires receiving and giving. Well, Trinka, will you speak into, for, for those of us who are parents and catechists and grandparents or anybody with children of all different abilities in our lives, would you speak into on a practical level, how can we journey with children of different abilities? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the first thing I would say is that we can't rely on one handbook or one perspective because every child comes with their own needs and their own gifts and their own challenges. So I think I just say that to remind us all that it really is heart work as much as it is knowing exactly, you know, how to do it well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there are some, you know, the, the framework that I kind of use for myself and used when I was coordinating a CGS program is to really think about an authentic welcome and then to learn about, you know, what barriers are present perhaps for this child that, that we can help remove, that we mm -hmm. can learn how to name and recognize and change. Mm -hmm. And that could be the kinds of barriers that I think we all pay attention to. Like, are there physical barriers? Are there sensorial barriers? Are there stairs that are going to get in the way? Are there aspects of the atrium that will make it difficult for a child in a wheelchair to reach? You know, those sorts of things. But I think we can also think about barriers like in the culture of the atrium in the way that we so value that experience of using an atrium voice and using an atrium walk and how important that is for the child's journey into a place of contemplation. But that we know, I mean, in my experience, some families 
have a real fear response to that description because they say that won't be my child. My child will not be walking slowly and will not be using a quiet voice. And I think especially of some children who, you know, have a disability label, that can be a challenge. So just opening that up a bit. And what I like to say to parents and fellow catechists is that those parts of atrium culture are things that we practice. They're our practice. And we have to practice them. <laughs> and that means that they're not going to be present all the time. It's just mm -hmm. a practice that we return to. And sometimes it happens slowly and sometimes it happens quickly and that's okay. So really thinking about, you know, how do we consider an atrium experience for a child who maybe needs a shorter time in the atrium in the beginning mm -hmm. or needs to have an adult standing by in case their time is completed before the clock time is completed. Mm -hmm. We can have some thought about, especially in level two and level three, is the material that requires reading going to be a barrier for some children? And just how to frame that in the atrium, because it's never a requirement that children read or write, but it does come up. And so to just mm -hmm. make it a free choice, if we're you know, sharing scripture in the prayer corner, that it's always okay to say no thank you, or it's always okay to read with a partner, or it's always okay to ask to practice what mm -hmm. I'm going to read beforehand. You know, those things I think we naturally do. I also really consider the barriers that I feel in myself that might be based on my own fear or my own sense of efficiency, <laughs> like this mm -hmm. might take a little bit more time for me to observe a child with a disability that I don't know very much about or don't mm -hmm. um, understand in this context. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's where being in community is really helpful to be able to rely on one another to brainstorm and to walk through the atrium with a particular child in mind and say, what might be the barriers? Yeah. And how do we take those away as much as we can while still maintaining the prepared environment mm -hmm. that invites all children into contemplation and prayer? And I think what you were speaking about earlier with observation being such a key to this. Yes. You try something with the child and it doesn't work out or it didn't, they didn't respond the way you hoped to, or they didn't seem drawn to it. And that experimental nature is with it at each child as well. Like, okay, let's adapt this again and yes. observe the child's reaction to, to something and maybe figure out what the barrier is for maybe why they're not working with that or um, didn't respond well to that and being willing to adjust. Yes, absolutely. And also to remember that a child with disabilities is first a child. Mm -hmm. And so we can kind of like, I will sometimes when I make an observation of a child with different abilities, you know, one of the first questions I ask is uh, just putting it through the filter of this is a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So some of those observations that might create a question in us, we might have of any four-year-old and sometimes not. Sometimes we come to see this is a child who needs to be invited into intentional movement in order to feel at home in the atrium. So mm -hmm. to have more things to walk on the line with or to have something heavy 
to walk on the line with that gives them that big muscle experience. So for years in our level one atrium, we had like a 10 pound sandbag that children could carry on the line or push on the line. And we did that to serve a particular child. But what we found is that some other children really benefited from that as well. Mm -hmm. And Trinka, what about when you have a child who is not having a good day or having just some moments that are becoming more disruptive to the rest of the class? Yeah. And that could be any child, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) So I think that's the first the layer for me is if that experience is happening with a child with disabilities is is to rely on all the ways that respond to any child in that situation. But it, if it seems particular to the child's experience of their own needs, you know, their own particular challenges or limitations, you know, I think that's when we would really think about having an adult on call and instead of saying to the adult, you know, your child is disruptive in the atrium, so we need you come and get her or come and get him. I think the way that I would want to frame that and experience it is to say, we are wanting every child's experience in the atrium to be as whole and complete as possible. And if your child has had that experience before 10:15 when mm. it's time to leave the atrium we want to honor that in that child mm. and then we want to ask ourselves what are the signals the child is giving us before it becomes a disruption mm-hmm. that they're saying i'm finished i'm complete mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. time for me to take this experience and you know, move into the next part of my day. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I think as we, you know, spend time in observation, that's a great invitation. Like, what are those signals? And I can think of one child in the level two atrium who had a very clear signal, but it actually took us a while to figure it out. And he would come up to one of the adults and say, is it time for prayer corner yet? And that's a question that we receive not infrequently in the atrium, but for this child, we came to understand that he was saying, I'm kind of done. Yeah. And I know that prayer corner is how we end. So we just really honored that. And we were able to make a plan for an adult to be ready to receive him, even if it wasn't the end, the end time. Yeah. I love that following of the child. Yes. Even, even in regards to time. That is... Yes. That is beautiful. Yeah. And some children, even it looks different. Like you, I know, I think all of us have experienced like we're, maybe we're doing the presentation of the Good Shepherd and you have one child who's five feet away from everybody else or 10 feet away from everybody else or laying on the ground or rolling or whatever. And your, your adult mind is thinking, okay, this child is so not paying attention. And we've all had that experience where that's the kid that's paying the most attention, even though they're (laughs) 10 feet away rolling on the ground. And I think that there is a respect to the person within that as well, that each child has different needs. Some of that, my son um, needed to doodle whenever I would be doing a lesson with him for schoolwork, he would need to be doing something with his hands. So doodling or whatever. And at first it drove me nuts. And then I had to realize that when I allowed him to sit there and color 
or draw all kinds of scribbly lines all over the page. He actually uh, was listening a lot better than when I took the pen away from mm-hmm. him. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, something in the school setting that can be pretty important. There's a part of speech and occupational therapy that actually helps kids develop the behaviors that show that they're listening and paying attention, even even if they're not. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, to survive in a school setting, it's important occasionally to look at the teacher and nod. And that can be kind of a great skill in the school setting. But that's one I think that we get to let go of in the atrium. Mm-hmm. And remember that even adults who take a tour of the atrium and have no experience with the materials or with communal prayer or with practical life, they take these deep breaths. We all have experienced this and a calmness can come about them. And they very quickly understand that they're in space that is intended for slowing down and for listening deeply. And so I often remember that when, you know, in my adult eyes, I might notice a child and kind of think to myself, gosh, that's not what the atrium is for. Or I was really hoping she would return to this work that she was so engaged in last week. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes just have to have those thoughts so that I can get to the next thought, which is, I don't know what she's absorbing, Mm -hmm. but she's here. And she's in this space that we know is holding something very special because it's a prepared environment. Mm -hmm. And that's plenty. I mean, that's abundance right there. Yeah. I think it reminds us as the adult that we are not the teacher, that we need to trust the Holy Spirit that is within all these children. Yes. um, That is their primary teacher. And I think it's also important for us as the adults in all children's lives to remember that if what the children receive is a feeling of love and inclusion and acceptance, if that's what they received from us, then I think that we have modeled the love of God well. Yes. And, and that is a profound gift. And it's, you know, like so many things in the atrium, the gifts are given and it's not ours to know what the response is or what the fruits are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're given that in child's responses or, or art expressions or something we might hear the parents say later, like, wow, my child said this and I know it came from the atrium. But ultimately, we are asked to live into that mystery of the relationship between God and the child. Mm-hmm. Well, Trinka, I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us about this specific subject. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we finish? You know, Carrie, I think I just really want to invite everyone in this work, you know, catechists and assistants and what some call, you know, if there's a child who needs just some extra support, inviting in someone in the role of being a loving presence, (laughs) which is just a beautiful framing that didn't come from me. You know, all of all of us who are holding the container of the atrium to just feel the power of relying on one another as catechists, assistants, loving presences, 
relying on families to help us understand what the barriers might be for their child. Mm-hmm. Just to bring that humility that we all value so much as catechists into that welcome as well. And to rely on one another, you know, to ask questions, to bounce ideas off of. There are no experts. There's just those who are experimenting and listening and observing. So, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Trinka, for sharing with us. And thank you so much for your work with the children in the atrium, especially with your level four experimental atrium. Carrie, it's been so wonderful to talk with you today. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I have also. Thank you, Trinka. Thank you all for listening. Please check out our show notes for more resources about everything that Trinka and I were talking about, especially the theology of disability and the New York Diocese documents about serving special needs children in our religious education programs. Also, please consider taking the survey. It should only take a few minutes. The link to that survey is in the show notes, and maybe you will win our October book raffle. The Good Shepherd and the Child podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all our contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to become a member or to learn more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.